Hey everyone, welcome to the stories that brought you here. It's the podcast dedicated to the stories of the people from Pender Island, British Columbia. I'm your host, Chris Wakaluk, and I will be sitting down in one-on-one hour-long conversations, discussing the stories that brought people to this meditative little island we live on, and also to hear the stories that brought people to the point that they're at in their lives right now. Today, before I get rolling on my introduction for my guest, I have to give a huge thanks. And that thanks goes out to the first eight people and more who partook in this podcast. The reason why is because this is the last interview that I recorded without anybody hearing what the results would be. So all of the people that have been interviewed up until now didn't know what they were getting themselves into fully because nobody had any previous interviews to listen to to gauge, is this a good idea? Should I be doing this? So everyone that you heard then said yes to doing an interview did so and put their trust into me for what the results would be. And for that, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to Kelly Irving, to Shelley Easthope, to Julia Nichols, to Sarah Conley, to Victor Zorman, to Nia Williams, to Gary Goodman, and my guest today, John Martin. I also want to give a big thanks to two different people who did test interviews with me that may or may not air down the road. We'll see. I'm not sure. But first off is Greg Lucas, who graciously accepted my offer to come into my basement and have me record him and talk to him. The uh, the day after I asked him, he was uh, so great to do that. And my wife, Jennifer Jacobs, also did a test interview with me to help me get rolling on this and work out a few kinks. Thank you to those two as well. Now, moving on, my guest today is John Martin. Now, A lot of you might know John from being the talkative, friendly guy working at the Recycling Center, but there is so much more to John Martin, and we're going to find out more today. We're going to find out things from John like why we should say yes. We're going to find out about his exit from the corporate world. We're also going to get to hear John speak to the difficult transition he had moving to Pender Island initially. All right, everybody, here we go. Here's my interview with John Martin. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Chris. It seems like this is... We've tried to do this for a long time. Yeah. We've talked about this for a long time. We have. In different fashions. And here we are. Here we are. Now. About a year and a half, possibly later. That long, eh? Yeah. Sometimes things need to come together. All the time, things need to come together. All the time. All right. Well, John, first question of this podcast Mm -hmm. is what brought you to Pender Island? Hmm. That answer has changed many, many times. And I think I've finally found the answer. I think I finally understand it in that what we dream, what we try to create with our life, sometimes takes time. Like this podcast, we chatted about it a year and a half ago. Things didn't quite fit. Things needed to come into alignment. You needed to buy mics. You needed to decide that this was a thing. The concept needed to become a thing. I don't ever think it was about you and I doing a podcast as much as it was about you. But here we are. And the dreams that we dream 
take time to manifest or show up. And for a long time, Emily and I felt stuck. Came from Winnipeg. We were both in the thick of the corporate scene trying to scamper up the ladder. Although the ladder was really greasy, very greasy. And we slid down. She climbed up more than I did. Such a suffering experience, always needing to feel like you need to climb and climb and climb and climb. And the more we climbed and the more desperate we felt about climbing, the less we wanted to climb. The more we felt this ladder thing was a little bit ridiculous. So we started making some serious life changes and you call it an awakening, call it whatever you will. We started to look at life and say there's more meaning to uh, life than just making money, titles, credentials, pats on the back, cars, a bigger house, bigger yard, more things. And all of that started to crumble away. And we made the decision, actually a little bit of a precursor, we house sat on Pender Island in March of 2015 for a week or so. And we were over in Victoria walking the boardwalk on Dallas Road, I believe, and set firm intentions. Like this was like ultra manifester creator. Like we visioned it. It was, it was real. Like we're going to live here. We're going to live here five years. Like we have anything to do with the time in, in which things show up. We don't. We may. I'll get to that. And so five years, we said, we'll go and do some things in Winnipeg, gain some equity, move out of here, have some, have some freedom. Four months later, we got another uh, email from the lady that we were house sitting for on Pender saying, hey, would you like to come and house sit for us in January of 2016, but this time for three months. So immediately it was, no, you're crazy. Um, that's what Emily and I were saying to each other, but really we were saying this lady's crazy because she's implying that we're going to give everything up and come out to a small island, um, of which I'd never left, uh, left this city. I'd never moved it, uh, lived in another city. Emily had lived all over the place. She was a little bit more comfortable with it. And I came home one night and she said, I think we should do it. And I said, no, that's crazy. Um, no, that's scary that's crazy that's not responsible all these things that i had learned through my life as to how to perform in life and behave in life and the actions i needed to take or should take obligated to take were coming up in question all the things that i had learned through my teachers my parents my educators uh the media the politics everything about safety and comfort the pensions of the world go get that pension. All of that was coming into question. And I went into a still place. I went into my heart and my heart said yes. And I started crying and the tears started flowing. And I knew that was a good sign that it was like, yes. And the precursor to this is that we had read a book, a very powerful book. And anyone who's listening, who's looking for a great book on saying yes to things, The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer, who also wrote the untethered soul. And Michael says that in order to become peace with the world or become aligned with the flow of the world, we have to say yes to the things that present themselves because the things that present themselves are our dreams or creations manifesting. And if we say no at any point along the road, it's going to try and ask us again, but we're just delaying things. We're delaying the inevitable. 
Our dreams are trying to show up. And so by saying yes, we did say yes. And I think we had just had the baby or just about to have a baby too. So we had to get the house really ready really, really quickly. Uh, it sold within like two weeks for of us departing. We sold our car a day before we left. Our daughter was three months old at the time. It was a very scary thing. We gave up our jobs. We had nothing. We had the equity from our house and just like a dream that this was supposed to happen. So we said yes. We moved out to Pender and we didn't really know what to do. But now that I, I, I told you at the beginning that I've, I've said this a bunch of different ways, but really the essence of it is Pender Island was the place where our dreams were ready to take off, were ready to unfold. It couldn't have happened where we were because the dreams were so magical. They were so inspired and they were so like aligned with like nature and who we were becoming, who we were remembering to be. And Pender Island was that perfect frequency. The people that we met along the way were the perfect frequency. The challenges of living on a small island as a family were the perfect frequency for us to continue our growth, continue our evolution and allow everything that we now see unfolding to show up. Pender Island was the place. Now, is there another place? That's the question. Is there another place on the earth that could support the frequency? And I believe there would be because form just takes different shapes to allow the frequency to unfold, to allow the dreams to create. So, I do think there's another place. No offense, Pender Island, but we're here and it hasn't been easy, but nothing worthwhile is easy. That's the story. That's that's an amazing, beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. That's great. I think uh, I've told you that before, so it was kind of a little different telling you it again. But that was that was different than how it's been told before. It's never been told that way. Okay. And uh, you and I have been friends for, I guess, about a year and a half now. So, and we've shared a lot of uh, great conversations together, and it's great to share a conversation right now. But just to dial it back here for the uh, listeners, so Emily is your wife. Yes. And how long have you been with Emily for? Um. We're coming on 15 years of being together. I'd say 15 and a half, but she put me off for about six months. Oh. She left me hanging. 15 is a nice I wanted number. Emily. Emily didn't want me. But now you have each other we for got 15 each other. years. 15 right. years. Okay. And so, you were, you were born and raised in Winnipeg? Winnipeg. All right. Well, mm -hmm. just to touch on a couple of things you said, because there was a lot of amazing stuff in there. But when you were walking along Dallas Road that mm -hmm. first time that you came to visit... What was it within you that really sparked an interest about wanting to make an alteration to your life? I think the the frequency of, and I keep using that word frequency or energy, the the vibration of the place that we're that we're standing on Dallas Road, Victoria in in itself. As I drive through there now today, such an eclectic mix of people, but there's this underlying attribute that I feel a lot of people have in Victoria and it's a sense of freedom and you see a lot of people dressed how they want to dress they're rocking it they're really comfortable like you see like kind of shoulders back chest a little bit out and it's not like hey I'm better than you it's just like hey I'm comfortable in myself and I didn't get that sense from where I lived and there's no disrespect to a place like Winnipeg because I think we have a special connection especially if we're born in in these places but I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that freedom. I didn't feel that expansion, that possibility of like 
what I truly wanted or what Emily truly wanted from our life. And Emily and I weren't always in the same wavelength on things. Like it actually took us about maybe nine or 10 years to fully kind of align. We're both kind of off in our own little career paths. I'm sure more for myself, like I I battled with some addictions of the past and I'm not afraid to share that. But things needed to come together and it was very synchronous in how we came to be from a place of wanting more simplicity in life rather than trying to strive and achieve more and accomplish and gain more material. It was like something happened and it was like this convergence of energies just met at the same place and we were like changed forever. And that change process is, like I said at the beginning, a challenging and difficult thing sometimes. But we had aligned and that alignment in what we now wanted, Victoria offered it to us. That was what Victoria or BC was to us. And it's like having a glass of swampy lake water and then going and drinking a glass of like the most refreshing spring water you can drink. Your soul can breathe. It feels like quenching. And so the people that were passing us by or just the vibration of the place was like, it was quenching. So this is something that you'd never experienced before and like living in Manitoba and yeah, so that's, that's amazing. And like, it's one thing to have that feeling. I think a lot of people in their lives have memorable moments that wind up affecting them on a deep level, but not everybody acts on those all the time. And it's interesting to hear just how passionately you speak of that and taking action and how your life has unfolded since that time, just how much things have changed. And I know that through talking to you that the career that you had before, that uh, you don't ever want to go back to that again, that you want to move forward. And I just want to know uh, if you're able to speak to that for a little bit and just let the listeners know as to what you were doing before and um, and where you're aimed towards now. Yeah, and I'm careful not to, I'm careful now that what I know now, not to say that I never want to go back to that because in saying I never want to go back to that, there is something in me that is denying that or resisting that. And I know far too well because I have a very acute eye for what unfolds in my reality that that which we resist will show up. So I'm very careful now because I've made some mistakes in the past where I've really resisted something from showing up and it's knocked on my doorstep. I'm like, shit, there it is again. So I love you past corporate life. I love you so much. I adore you. I'm petting you right now. But you're going to go over there and I'm going to start a new path. And I'll talk about you in a very endearing way because I do have more compassion for it now. I was very, when I moved out here, I was very resentful in in my past little while in Winnipeg. I was very resentful over what I was doing and who I was working with. What I felt I was becoming, I didn't really know, but what I was doing and where I wanted to go were not in alignment whatsoever. So what I was doing, I was, I graduated with a, a marketing degree. And really, those that graduate with marketing degrees have no idea what they're doing. Like School preps you to become the CEO of a company. How's a CEO? How would you handle this problem? And then you're thrust into the corporate world 
entering data onto Excel spreadsheets relentlessly all day long. Hey, this isn't what I bought into. And you start to scratch up this ladder. The first job I had at a school was so draining. It was a buying position with a, a national retailer. And all day long, we would contrive, if that's the word, ideas on how to get more money out of people. I'm talking dollars, I'm talking cents. Like, how do I get more cents out of you? Because that sense on the volume applied to a big amount of money. But it was always like, can you give me another quarter? <laughs> Every day, all day long. And you were patted on the back and rewarded for getting that quarter. Right. We were beggars, glorified beggars. And that became very draining. And I actually tried to run away. And this is a, not too many people know about this. I tried to run away from that. And I got a job with a company that I was actually buying products from, and it was Coca-Cola. And as I went over to that position, I actually was servicing the customer that I left. And they weren't happy with that. They are not happy that I went over to the dark side to now work with them because I had too much information. Things were really, really rocky. And it gave me more of this like discernment in me that in this like clutch on my heart that this what I was doing was not satisfying. And so I went from begging for quarters to being begged for quarters and to being rejected. And so that opened up a whole new can of worms in, in my life and my evolution and rejection because rejection had been a thing. And now it was just manifesting in a different form with people in suits saying no. And at this job, many would say that I had it all. I had a company car. I had a gas card. I was making good money. I worked from home most of the time. And that got really boring. And there was something in me that was like, this is really boring, really disengaging. I wasn't talking to anyone. I was like working at spreadsheets. I was called a sales rep or an account manager, but I wasn't really selling. I was just like analyzing the past, not being present whatsoever. And I wanted more. I was like, I want people interaction. I want to get paid more. You're not paying me enough. And I would go on this hunt for jobs to look for that paid me more. I wanted more. And I went and found another job that would pay me more. They were going to pay me a commission plus a salary. And they were like, oh, you're going to make six figures with us. And like that was like this huge thing. Yes, that's going to make me feel happy because at that point I was depressed very anxious, very depressed, um, addicted to things at that time in my life. It was a very dark period at Coca-Cola. And I went to this new company and I got into the furtherance of my denial around wanting to be rejected. And the rejection came more and more because now I had to go find customers or the other job I was like given customers. Now I had to go find these people. So the desperation hit a new, another level. I needed to find people and I needed more and more and it was never enough. Regardless of how big the quote was that I would put out to the customer, it was never enough. There's always the expectation that I was going to go get more and more and more and more and more. And the more that I wanted more, the less that I got. The more that I wanted money, the less money I got. And fortunately, Emily didn't have this mindset or these struggles that I was. So she was out making it rain and I was like suffering. And I was, there is one thing that kind of is a great precursor into why and how I got to Pender Island was the 
concept of selling, the concept of needing to contact people in this very vulnerable place, this very, what I felt, desperate place to ask them to buy something that I didn't truly believe in because, not because I wanted them to thrive, just because I wanted to get paid. And so I'm doing something just for monetary gain. And there's a disconnection between what the soul wants and that concept. And so I sat there for two and a half years needing to call people and I couldn't do it. It was a, I could not pick up the phone. And they let me be, they they let me stay at this company for two and a half years, not meeting one single sales quota. I think I brought some other positive energy aspects to this, but I didn't meet one single sales quota month after month or two and a half years. And they kept (laughs) me there. That's funny. What were you doing? What were you doing? What was I doing? Hoping people would call me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it never happened. That's, but I did get a few customers, but for the most part, it was a very, and again, another dark period in, um, in the life of John Martin. Okay. And so I made the decision two and a half years later. We had already made the decision to come to Pender Island. I was going to quit sales. Sales wasn't for me. You go over there. I'm going to go over here. And that's the way I positioned it to my bosses at the time is that I'm going over here, which they saw. They knew there were some changes going on in my life. And sales is going to go over here and we're going to part ways forever. Like I said, I'm careful about what I, what I say and how far uh, I want to go as to um, commenting negatively on things. But sure enough, the next day after I gave notice and they actually just let me leave, which was crazy, I thought, um, they let me leave. I got an email in my inbox from another company that wanted to meet me. And I had four months left and I had some choices and I could go uh, go on EI because I had doctored that up with the, the, the previous employer to allow me to do it because our, our daughter was being born in the next little while. I could go get a boring uh, admin job. I could go get a temp position at some place that was like super random or I could go check out this place. I go in there. The energy is fantastic. Lots of young people. They're all wearing like sports jerseys or like their regular street clothes where I'd been like new stuff in a suit my for the past seven years. It seemed really attractive. But I knew something was there. And when I asked him, what am I going to be doing here? I knew what he was going to say. And he, he said, sales. That makes sense. So I looked at your resume. It's going to be sales. I'm like, ah, here you are again. What kind of sales? Telesales. Oh, my favorite. So I couldn't say yes to it, but I did the tour around the building, asked the questions, met this, met the owners, and I went home, same process, went to my heart, went into a meditation, and it asked, what should I do? And overwhelmingly, I came out with tears, and it was say yes to sales, because it wasn't the, the act of selling or wanting more money, it was the act of overcoming fear. And in that, with my new knowledge around the surrender experiment and saying yes to the things that make us feel really uncomfortable. I said yes to sales. Two days in, I obliterated my fear of uh, cold calling. And it was actually pretty good. It was actually really fun. Great team, great group of people. And they actually allowed me to work out here in Pender Island. And so that kind of bridged a gap for me to do something on my own for a year. But I always look back at it and say, you know what, all these experiences that I, I just, I hated for so long, I can now look at with a new lens and a new perspective and say, 
you know, each of those things that I despised is showing up in my life right now as a gift, as an experience that I can leverage to use to create what I actually want with my life. Like there's an aspect of cold calling that I do now where I just reach out to random people, but it's of a place of a heart because I'm doing what I love. Therefore, it doesn't become me begging you for dollars and cents. It becomes me explaining my love, me sharing this gift of passion, which I think the world is starved of. Maybe not Pender Island because there's a lot of passionate people here, but like the the world is starved of passion and I love to unleash it. I love to exchange it with people. That's interesting to say that the world is starved of passion because I think that's probably accurate. I don't see a lot of passion out there. I don't really live my life personally with a lot of passion. I'd like to say that mm-hmm. I did and uh, and do, but if I'm going to be honest, I don't think I do. And I don't really feel or see it very often. I feel as if the day-to-day interactions with people are relatively uh, mundane and predictable. But why is it you're so passionate about living life with more passion? I totally want to take a second and, and build you back up, Chris. Okay, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Because um, we've known each other for a couple of years. And you almost like you almost didn't come to our first date, couple's date. Right. Because you had disc golf. Well, disc golf dilemma. Oh, actually, just to let the listeners know, my wife uh, set up a uh, a couple's date with... Blind. Uh, blind with John and Emily. And I was uh, not very happy about the prospect of doing that because I thought, oh man, some people I've never met before. But it, anyway, upon upon spending 20 minutes with you guys, I uh, I just I just loved hanging out with you guys. And it was so much fun. And uh, anyways, and we've been great friends ever since. Yes. And I've learned a lot from Chris and Geneva. Um, a lot. How to live your life in faith, in trust, not from a religious standpoint, but just trust in how you're going to do it. And I know there's probably some things behind the scenes that I don't see, but when you show up, there's this authentic Chris and it is predictable, but it's predictable from a stance of groundedness and a a stance of, I know who I am, this authenticity. And I think authenticity rubs off. And so I don't think authenticity should show up as this completely unpredictable nature. What you do may show up a little bit unpredictable in authentic nature or what you, the choices you make because you become freer in, in, in your way of being. But you guys are very inspiring to me. So, yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for saying that. I appreciate that. Thank no, you. I, okay. Well, just to bring it back to you here yes. and, and bring it back to Pender Island and maybe the uh, the present here. So, you guys had your, your first year on the island with uh, a newborn, mm-hmm. a whole new experience. You'd never lived outside of Manitoba, drawn to being here, living on a small island, newborn. How was that first year for... And, and so this question is also for people who um, are potentially listening who are thinking about moving to the island. <laughs> be- because really, it's going to be interesting to interview people who have been born here or have lived here for 20 years or lived here short term. And I just... I'm really curious about individual experiences that uh, could possibly be related to people who might want to do the same thing. Well, the way that this may come out initially may not be what Pender Island Tourism Board would choose as their spokesperson's message. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because what you come into Pender Island with, if it differs from the lay of the land and the community's vibe, will change. You will change. Now, if you're completely of the same frequency and you're coming in 
things may be a little bit more settled. But if you're coming in as a corporate individual, wanting something different, not having experienced that difference yet, wanting a little bit more natural time, you will change. And I think we see that around us with the people that we know. And you've seen more people come and go than I have. But I know the people that have been here for a couple of years as well. And there's some severe change that happens. There's transformation that happens. And it's both from, I believe, this is the way I feel and I see in the, the frequency or the energy of the land will begin to attune to you. It'll begin to, what's the word when, when two cells of different vibration come into alignment and train and train is a word. So you, you will become entrained to the land. The land is not going to become entrained with your energy. It is going to uh, infiltrate your frequency or energy and things will change. The people that we interact with are of a different, and there's no good or bad or that's wrong or this is right, but they're of a different vibration. People are, are much more environmentally conscious here. People are much more uh, grounded in maybe a spiritual practice or just a way of life that is fulfilled, it feels. It feels a little bit more um, stable. Although that stability that we found out takes a while to achieve. And a teacher told me recently that she's like, look where you live. You live on an island surrounded by, at times, turbulent waters, at times, very high winds, in seismic environment where stuff is always shifting, things are going to change. That's going to breed change. Whereas if you look at the prairies and even like the Alberta uh, geography before the mountain, things are very stable. You can get away with a little bit more, a little bit more complacency. Whereas I think this place really buttons you up. And I don't know if that's the the best term to ex- describe it. It entrains you to the frequency of the land and the community. And for us, that was, that was a big difference. We thought we were there. I thought it was like conscious being and I was different and I was coming home. But that home was like, man, that was, a, that was two years of turbulent times. And you tack onto that, that I, I had met a, when I moved out here, I had met a teacher of indigenous healing that chose to partner with me, I guess, in a journey of complete transformation. So she recognized, I recognized that in me, in my purpose, the reason why my soul came to this planet, part of the reason was to be a healer and was to go onto the healer's path. And so if you combine this corporate city, materialistic Western notion of an individual and you place them into a land that doesn't get that frequency and is like more come on into ours, significant change is going to happen. If you add on to that, the process of conscious choice-filled transformation that this lady taught me and how to cleanse myself of fear and stories that didn't no longer served, destructive patterns, addictions, anything that no longer served me, you partner those two together, serious transformation happens, serious upheaval, stress, anxiety, worry, depression. And it was really not the land that was creating this. It was the land that was surfacing out of me, the things that didn't belong here. And the land has held me in that process. 
I've cried many of nights into the land. And this is not a message for the tourism board of Pender Island. However, this is reality. And I heard, I was talking to someone the other day at the cafe, and they said they had talked to two people that were planning on coming out to Pender Island. They're from Vancouver, and they were both corporate, corporate folks. And they were looking forward. They just had a young daughter, actually three months old. I was like, oh, man, that's a little. And they were, they were super excited about coming out here, and they were going to try new things. And part of me was like, God bless you. Like, I hope that this is a smooth transition and an easy one. I wasn't being vengeful. But part of me was also like, you're in for a transformation. And I hope the land holds you like it held me because it was uh, a ride and a half. And I feel we're on the other side of that ride. Oh, really? Eh? I feel like we've come out of the tunnel. When and life has not stopped, but I feel like it's like that stability that I see in you guys, that I see in the people around me in this community has arrived in life. Because just to clarify what you're saying, you're saying that the land is in a way shaping the way that people will wind up being in this place, that you can have a, a preconceived idea as to how you want to make it work on the island, but it's going to wind up being altered by the land, by the people, would you say? But Or, or is it... I think everything. Everything, in again, from the environment to the weather, to the people, to the plants, to the earth itself, to the exposure to the, the sun that we get in the middle of summer, the mm. constant relentless focus of sun energy that we get. All of this is like, there's no, there's no disconnect. The stars that we see, yeah, there's no disconnect. I think that's great because you know what? I don't really think about that on a, on a daily basis, but what you said about your teacher describing, look at where you live. You live on a small island surrounded by turbulent waters sometimes, surrounded by windiness. And it's interesting that these natural elements that we are surrounded by and existing in seem to be forgotten about on a pretty regular basis. And maybe not like everybody else, but uh, I do spend a lot of time outside. I love being outside. It's my favorite place to be. But kind of forget, kind of forget sometimes that this is where we are. We're on a, a small island surrounded by all these natural influences. Actually, right before we left to, from Winnipeg to Pender, there was a, an individual I met and he had said that he lived in Belize. I, I didn't know this man talking to him on the on the street. He said he moved to Belize six years ago. He came back since. And he went to Belize because Belize was this tropical paradise. And he felt in doing that, he his life was solved. Everything would take care of itself. He would become one with the palm tree. He potentially did because he had a hell of a time, nightmare time finding himself, finding comfort and fulfillment and satisfaction in life. And he couldn't find it. And it took him moving back to Winnipeg to, to really realize that paradise does not live out there. It has to live. It has to initiate here. Because in here, and I'm, I'm touching my chest right now, and I really should touch my whole body right now. I won't do that for you, Chris. <laughs> but it has to be here in order for our perspectives to see this because this is hard for me to share because I've lived here and maybe I've at times put on a face that things were like really good or that I was okay. Um, and I think we don't do that enough in society to tell each other how we're actually feeling because I think that would bring up a lot of conversations and a lot of healing if we did. But more often than not, I probably saw this place as a hell 
than a paradise. Wow. Yeah. And it was hard because I would look out my, my, like, I would look out my front window and see hundreds of huge, like, towering fir and cedar trees, like, beautiful landscape, no houses in front of me. You could see the sparkle of the ocean in front. The sun was amazing coming in the windows. We lived near the beach. We could go to the park. Everything was, like, as you would dream it. But because I was unsettled, because possibly, I don't want to speak for Emily, because our family, because we are a unit, we're one, was unsettled, it was very difficult for us to see this. And I probably attribute that to um, a certain level of financial security. So that's also what I would probably share with people, like, make sure you know what you're going to do when you get here, or else it will be an unfolding process of potential pain in the grasping and clawing that you're used to of the corporate world. When you work in the corporate world, you get a paycheck every two weeks. It's the same every two weeks. No one's ever like, hey, you didn't work hard enough because it just life goes on. And that doesn't happen here as much. Like you don't see that. You don't and and like way more money than you ever need. So I saw around me this turbulence, this chaos. And really, as I see it now, as I've finally come out of this tunnel of darkness, the dark night of the soul, again, life has not stopped. There's still other things that probably will surface. As I've come out, I see um, there is a beauty, but that beauty is because my perspectives have changed. And nature is always talking to us. It's always communicating at a very subtle level. And not not many people um, that I know of in my life or maybe even from my past life in Winnipeg really got that, that like this tree is communicating with you and it can have a very, very, very significant contribution to your life through communion with it. But because the shutters are on, I don't see it. This is hell. And I begin to blame this external world. I begin to blame the fact that I live on an Island that there's no opportunity that um, I'm not connecting with people the, the, to the degree that I want to. So all these externalities become the reason. But I found through this process that I was the reason. And if I could become the reason for it being paradise, then I was going to do that and going to choose that. And now that's becoming my conscious choice on this path is for this to become this magnificent dream that I created so many years ago, my whole life to create this. And it all unfolded in magic because I said yes. Nice. Yeah, I think that boils down to personal responsibility. And uh, in terms of making oneself happy, is that really uh, no one else can really do it for you. Whether or not you're in a relationship or you have lots of friends or whatever the circumstances are in your life, it's personal responsibility to find what it is that makes you happy and find what it is that you feel joyful and passionate about and then uh, go and pursue it, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're, I feel that you're sitting in front of that. And I've, I've known you for a couple of years and you've been involved with some cool projects. I'm looking at your art, your rock sculptures here. You're, <laughs> you were digging that. You probably still are. I don't know. Was, they're beautiful. They're natural. But I feel that you're, you're, you're connecting with what you're saying. Like you're practicing what you preach. 
Yeah. Right I'm, now, you're, this is cool. Sure. I'm and you, you're happy, it seems. Oh, yeah, definitely. This is actually, you know, it's interesting because the uh, the first night I came downstairs and set up the microphone and spoke into it and then just sort of did a little test before I did my first test interview, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm at home. I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've come home sitting in front of a mic and doing this. And, uh, yeah, this is such an enjoyable experience for me so far. And uh, I'll continue to do it for as long as it is an enjoyable experience because uh, this is this is great. It's really, really wonderful to do. And, yeah, and, and it's really interesting as well, too, is that I think that in terms of putting this out to the community and people that I'm going to see on a day-to-day basis, that in terms of providing an authenticity – and a consistency, I think, is really important. And, and you can't fake that. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, I'm just trying to do the best I can to be my honest self and uh, and just express that in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're doing well. Thank you. Thanks, John. <laughs> um, well, okay, let, let's just lead into the, uh, the second traditional question that we wind up. Uh, that was one question? I guess that was one question. Was one qu- he talks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic I, I hope i don't meet john in public because he's gonna answer my question in half an hour <laughs> but we got time that was a great that was a great great little section there anyways uh so the second traditional question that uh i like to ask all the people and the reason i ask this question as well too because i think it's interesting for other people to see the uh, connections that are on the island that people have with each other that they may not know about. But uh, the question is, who's helped you along the way on Pender Island? So many people. It kind of feels like a, a question where you're like asked ahead of time at like an Oscar ceremony and you got like you're accepting an award and you like pull out this piece of paper from I'd love to make a paper sound right now where I'm pulling something out. And I have these long lists of names and I hope I don't forget anyone. I hope actually I hope the people that I do forget never listen to this. That would that would make sense. That would be perfect. That's honest. Good job. Um so don't listen if I forget you. But really like I've come in contact with so many people and regardless of what you do in terms of helping another person, helping someone realize their place and their significance and their contribution and their qualities and their gifts and their unique talents and making space for that so that that can actually foster and develop is a gift in itself. So, with that, I could say everyone that I've met on Pender Island, with the exception, maybe a couple people that maybe didn't give me that that feeling when I met them. For the most part, I feel that so many people on this island that I've met have made space for that. I don't feel a lot of deterrence from what I want to do and some of the things that I do are a little bit wild. I, there's some things that I do that people may not fully understand. But no one seems to be coming to my door and saying, stop that, or that's ridiculous, or laughing in my face when they see me in public. And that's amazing. I can fully feel like, and this wasn't always the case in my little dark night of the soul, where I'm shifting out of things that no longer serve me. But now I can say this in, in this And probably the reason why it took us a year and a half to do this conversation, things needed to happen. There's been so many people that have been so supportive of that journey and so kind, like not a fake kindness, not like a, hey, how are you doing? Oh, really great. Hey, good to see you. It was like this genuine interaction. And sometimes it's not even words. It's just like the look in the eyes that you get with people, that you can have with people. And I work at the Recycling Depot, which is a, a hub of the community. 
I've looked at a lot of people in the eyes. I've made a lot of connections by saying yes to things that make me uh, make me feel very uncomfortable. Um, starting the meditation group, incredibly uncomfortable. Could you just tell us about the meditation group? Very uncomfortable. So I really wanted this space because I had become accustomed to this space in Winnipeg where people got together and meditated together. And I really felt this like sense of connection. I've had a lot of betrayal in my life. A lot of people turn their backs on me. So it really felt like it was a nice place to come where people weren't going to do that to me. Coming out to Pender Island, I was, there's no place where people are getting together to meditate. Like that's a, that's a gap. Hey, does anyone else want to do this? And it was kind of like, hey, does anyone want to start a meditation group? And it's just like crickets. There's some hay bales that are going across the room. Some people coughing, dry coughs. That's classic cartoon signs of classic. disinterest to those images you gave us there. <laughs> Excellent. There is severe disinterest. And I would actually, I believe having this conversation with you and I was like, oh, we're going to start a meditation group. It's going to be great. We're going to do different styles. And we were, we were doing a couple together prior to that. Um, and I think I even asked you like, hey, maybe you could lead one week and I can lead one and someone else could lead another one. And it was kind of like... <laughs> Yeah, I'm not really into that. Maybe let's see what it gets. I, I remember mentioning that I was not going to be into it, yes. <laughs> and I, I so appreciate that, that honesty. And what I saw that it was, was was a sign that when something in you is wanting to be released or unleashed, and it's a place of like, oh, I love this. It's a place of passion. And no one else wants to do it for you. It's a sign that you should just do it. Sure, that makes sense, yeah. People are down with the idea. That's a great idea. I'm not doing it. Who's doing it? It's a sign to me that I should do it. And very uncomfortable because one, I had never taught a meditation before. I had led people through um, exercises of relaxation before. But what I was about to get into was so um, outside my comfort zone. So I took it upon myself to create a new style of meditation every single week or a new like formality that we could get around and connect with. And people showed up like that was the amazing thing that kept surprising me week in, week out, regardless of how stressed I felt about having to do it again, was that people kept showing up. People kept uh, showing interest. I saw people connect to one another that may have never connected on Pender Island before. So this community was unfolding. And I was helping build this meditation community. And we did some really cool things. We chanted, we sang, uh, we did some pretty interesting forms. Of, I think we even had a laughter one, which was really tough. Oh, yeah. To be was... the orchestrator of laughing is a tough gig. Yeah, you, you actually kept laughing that whole meditation. Were you there? Gig. I was there. Yeah, you yeah. were there? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, good job. Um, but so, okay, so you had the, the meditation group. I just want to like bring you back on track here about like uh, the help that you received on the island. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And if, is there anybody that you want to sort of point out or point to as uh, somebody who... So uh, you actually want names? Sure. Well, you know, I just think that it's uh, interesting to highlight somebody else. And th the reason for this is because this is an interview about you, mm -hmm. about a singular person. And I, I, I think it's interesting to uh, see the bridges that are within our community. And so if there's, you know, like a particular individual that you want to highlight, um, yeah, now is your, your chance. I don't think I can give you a specific individual. It's, it's a list of, of people that have come before and helped me shape who I am today. And from that experience of leading these meditations, these enormous possibilities unfolded just by saying yes to something really scary. But the support of 
Um, I remember True and Nahani showing up every single week. I know you and Geneva showed up a lot of weeks. Um, Sarah for giving me a space at Dragonfly to show up. Glenn showed up on a, a very regular basis. There were people that came and went that, um, although they didn't always show up week in, week out, they believed in something. They believed in that energy. They didn't believe, they didn't know me. They believed in this. And then that unfolded into conversations I had with Lisa Fleming, which kind of transitioned into this role that I'm doing with these wellness initiatives and her and Shannon's trust in me and the people that I've met from Shelly Easthope and her husband Lyle and Valentina and her support for me and all these people that I've had conversations with, David Nikolai, Mary Rare, um, Susan Tate that I've had a connection with, all these people. And I, I have like literally... I didn't know this many people in Winnipeg in my whole life. I'd never met this many people that I had connections with. And I listed like maybe 15 names. I'm missing probably like 150 that I've had solid connections with um, that have supported me. People that gave us, uh, I remember putting out the call for furniture when we first got here and just like having things delivered for free out of like the kindness of someone's heart, which was unbelievable. The support that Emily got on her uh, her cleaning uh, business when it started going and, and supporting us in our sustainability is I'm so missing people, but that's okay because I know the people that have connected with me um, on a personal level know that I don't need to say their name. I I show up when I see them, and I sh- I think that I show them appreciation just in their presence. So yeah, sure, fair enough. You know it's. Pretty interesting that you don't know this because uh, I haven't released any uh, podcasts yet, but I've heard so many times from people that it one person is nowhere near enough that no. the, the support on this island is vast. And what you just described there was a uh, vast network of people through different circumstances that have wound up, from what I'm hearing you say, just to clarify this, giving you help in just being present sometimes, mm-hmm. just by showing up. And showing some interest mm-hmm. in what you're doing. And helping me find who I am, what what I'm actually here to do. And like, I can even revert back to the musical side in Ben McConkie and the open mic and just how supportive of an individual that is to like, encourage someone you don't even know to come on out and like, come on, we want you there. There's this feeling of um, in my past of like, waiting for someone to to screw me over or like, to pull the rug under, out underneath me and say like, no, what, I, I wasn't actually that into you. But it surprises me day in, day out, that support is consistently there. And I'm so forgetting so many names. No, it's no, unbelievable. It, don't worry about forgetting names. But yeah, it's, it is amazing. That is amazing that it seems so many people feel as if there's so much support on this island. And I think it's such a wonderful thing. I think that uh, we're just coming out of the winter season right now. And I know that a number of people suffer from seasonal depression and just not getting enough sunlight, obviously, right? And that uh, there are dark times, literally, and figuratively as well, too. And I think that it's been, for me, really interesting and really rewarding to hear how so many people describe this as being uh, such a helpful island. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And going back, I, I, I did say it was helpful. I did say this was a great community and I'd actually have visitors coming to the island. They're like, even strangers like, oh, you live here? This place is great. And I would say, yeah, it's fantastic. 
but I actually wouldn't feel it because of all the turmoil that was going on in my life. As much as people were helping me in my life on a day-to-day basis and the land was showing up to support me in ways to make this sustainable, something in me showed up time to time that said they weren't. And it's amazing what this thing that we call the ego can do and shifting our perspectives into something that we can't feel grateful for. And through my transformation process, this has actually happened relatively recently. I believe that we grieve when we can grieve the things that have lived and are still living and are still in our awareness and our physical contact. When we can grieve that and show that deep appreciation, because really grieving is just a praise for the life that was, but now we're grieving because we didn't fully do it when they were alive. So now they're dead. So now we're like, oh shit, I guess I got to like appreciate them somehow. And it's deep because all that feeling was just ready to boil out. And I actually grieved. And I wish I could have the images of the people's faces that showed up as I was grieving. And this was a deep like cleanse. I was probably lasted a good like half an hour just sobbing the people that have showed up and helped me. And it was like, like I said, literally like 150 faces. And I grieved them all, not because they were dying, but because they were alive and I hadn't quite seen it yet. I needed something in me to die in order to see their life and our life together. And my whole perspective has changed since that time. And it's a process. You can't time these things out. We thought it was going to be five years. It was three months. We thought we were going to do a podcast a year and a half ago. And here we are today. You never know what needs to take place. No, you don't. And I guess you just need to stay open to it. Yes. And say yes. And say yes. All right. Well, just looking at the time here, it looks like we're creeping up on uh, an hour. That went by really fast. It did. Yeah. But we still have a little more time here. Maybe about five more minutes to play with. Mm. And um, I don't really have a particular question that I want to ask you, but I'd rather just like to hear what your final thoughts are and uh, just sort of let you go a little bit here and anything else that you want to say to end this off. Oh, yeah, I do. I want to kind of take the take the the stand, the soapbox, and now become a spokesperson for Pender Island because that was kind of my, my dark night of the soul. And I want to take the stand and say why people should say yes to this because life is too short. Life is meaningful. Life can be purposeful at any time. But when you say yes to what your heart calls you to do, and this is a place where people's heart call them to, it's a place that is different. It's a place that are choosing new directions. And obviously, as we look around at the state of the world right now, there needs to be a lot of change. There needs to be a lot of new perspectives. And I'm feeling very emotional right now that this is a place that people can come be themselves Uh, create their wildest dreams and totally, 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 totally just come back to that entrainment with nature because it's holding you wherever you are, but sometimes it needs you to see what you're not in order to fully realize it and fully feel grateful for it and the connections of people in in your life. So I grieve the people in my life that have come before in Winnipeg that maybe I shit on, maybe I didn't see the connection. I grieve those people today and thank them for everything. I thank my ancestors for 
shaping me to be the person that would one day heal those wounds that would one day choose a new direction. And they had to carry that for so long. And I feel I've carried it for so long, but it's, it's time to let a lot of that go. And I thank Pender from the deepest place in my soul for being there, um, whether people knew it or not, to hold me and my family in that deep transformational journey so that we could come out to the other side and see that life was too fucking meaningful and important to just let it squander by. I feel quenched. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in, John. Thank you, Chris. This is a good experience. This is good. You got something here. Right on. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. For saying yes. You're welcome. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you for saying awesome. yes. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of yeses. Yes. 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 We don't say yes enough, do we? I don't think I say yes enough. Yes. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming in. Yes. Thank you. All right. Well, there you go. And in honor of that interview, I decided I would come visit a place that John has told me he's spent a lot of time at, and that is the Privateers Schooner Trail. So this trail is located on the North Island in the Magic Lake area, and Currently, I am standing beside a heavy flowing waterfall that's draining out from Buck Lake, which is just above me. And the water is amazingly running underneath the uprooted portion of a fallen cedar tree, it looks like. And I stopped to take the recorder out and get a good look. As I put my bag down, I noticed that there was a rock located beside me with some writing on it. The writing says, your mission is very simple. You are asked to live your life so as to demonstrate you are not an ego. A little treasure found on a Saturday afternoon in the spring on Pender Island. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Until next time.